good to be with you today, truly. Um, we appreciate you. Um, we love you. We may not know you yet, but we do. And our God loves you. Our God loves you. We are at our fullest when we experience the fullness of love. There is no question about that. You look around to the people in your life. Look around to strangers and neighbors. You can recognize when somebody's at their fullest, when they are fully loved. So this morning, um, you've come on a good day. Um, well, any Sunday is a good day, right? But you've come on a good day. It's Resurrection Sunday, and we're starting a new series today. Um, and uh, so uh, before I begin, I'd like to pray. Um, and so would you pray along with me and not just listen to me, but will you have a conversation with the Creator as well? Would you mind bowing your heads? Heavenly Father, I love you. I thank you. You're good. Even though sometimes our circumstances may not reflect that, that doesn't mean that you're not. And uh, we enter into you. Whatever that looks like for us, we just we want to come to you right now. And Lord, I ask personally that you remove me from the process. Um, that your Holy Spirit speak. And that we respond. We respond to you. To what you have for us. So in this moment of prayer, those of you that are in this room and listening to my voice, I'd ask that you ask him. You may not believe in him. You might be an atheist, angry at a God that apparently doesn't exist. But I challenge you to ask him, who actually does exist, to speak to you this morning. Will you do that verbally? Just ask him, God, speak into my heart, and may I be responsive to that. Take a moment. Jesus, I ask that you speak into my heart too. And may I be responsive to what it is you talk to me about as well. It's in your name that we pray today. Amen. So this morning, uh, we're on a new, we, we begin a new series. And it's, uh, it's called Those That Religion Rejected. There are the scriptures up on the screen. And uh, you can write those down. I will refer to some of those. Some of those will be up on the screen. But I would ask, um, if you have your iPhone, you have your, your Android, uh, the Bible's in the back of the pew, open up to, to Luke chapter 10. If you're not familiar with Luke, um, that's okay. Uh, it's in the New Testament, so it's in the right half of the Bible. It's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, it is a gospel. It's a narrative of Jesus' life. Um, it's easy to look that up on, on, your, on your phone, uh, much easier than in the Bible if you're not familiar with it. Um, but uh, we're definitely going to refer to this and come to this scripture um, and, and read this scripture for the most, mostly in its entirety. We'll come back to that. But uh, isn't rejection hard? Anybody ever had to swallow that pill? The pill of rejection? Uh, at my alma mater, Airwood Elementary. <laughs> I had my first lesson of rejection. It was after lunch on the playground. 
I was a scrawny, skinny, pale, kind of still that way, um, fourth grader, no longer a fourth grader. And I thought I could tussle and muscle with the best of them, with the fifth and sixth graders. And so um, I thought I had graduated from the jungle gym, from the swing set, and from running around chasing everybody, and I went to the soccer field. And I figured, hey, I was born and raised on the soccer field. I mean, I may not be a Beckham, but my resume stood for itself. Five years old, my first team, we didn't win a game. But I got a trophy. Right? That was like 1983. I got a trophy, but they didn't know who I, who I was. So I walked out on the field. And I thought, all right, let's do this. And I noticed the sixth grader who had the soccer ball in his hand. Obviously, he was in charge of the draft this morning or that afternoon. And he and his confidants, his closest friends, started picking teams. And I didn't get on the team. I was relegated to the sideline. It's like, come on, guys. So I thought, I'll go back the next day, and I'll show them what I have. So I went out the next day, right back down, crowd of kids, fifth, sixth graders, fourth graders, and there I stood, ready to go. And there he was with the ball in his hand, in charge of the draft once again. And it seemed like he and his buddies picked the same teams every day. And I wasn't on the team. I was rejected. <laughs> I don't know about you, but when I get rejected, I want to figure this out. I don't like being rejected. I got frustrated. You ever been frustrated when you're rejected? You go to the interview, you thought you have it, and then you get the phone call, and you don't have it. Palms sweaty armpit sweaty and you're going to ask her out or ask him out and they say no I mean so I went to the wisest person that I knew my older brother and so his wisdom was call him a name <laughs> well it's my older brother so I went ahead and went out the next day same guy, same draft, same teams. And so I stood up for myself and I was like, just like that. <laughs> and the next thing I know, I'm pulled by my collar down to the ground by his friend. And my neighbor, before it, Eminent dangers started to happen to where I was going to be beat within an inch of my life. My neighbor stepped over and pulled him off of me. She was a pretty strong person. <laughs> I got really frustrated with rejection. I got mad with it. And it ended up, it ended me up in the office talking with the principal. Not the dude that pulled me from the collar, 
I shouldn't have said what I said to the guy. And the principal didn't accept the fact that the argument that my brother told me to, she didn't like that. So I had in-school suspension, and I had to write a paper as to why you should not use that type of language on the playground. And then I had to be inside for recess for several days after that. That was my first lesson of rejection. In my 41 years, I don't think I've ever heard anyone say, I like it. Give me rejection. I want it. I desire it. Now granted, there are those in the annals of history, such as Michael Jordan, who were ignited by rejection, who were sparked by rejection. If you don't know the story of Michael Jordan, I was a child and product of the 80s and 90s. Jordan was the man before LeBron was the man. And before Steph Curry, it was Jordan. It was Bird. It was Johnson. But Jordan was cut his sophomore year from the varsity team. But Jordan worked harder and harder at what he wanted to do. And actually, we have Jordan because he's the anomaly to the story. He's not the same as most of our stories. Most of us have rejection. I, personally, was cut from the sophomore basketball team. And then I became the glorified gopher called the manager. That was my rejection story from basketball. No, I don't have an NBA contract. We don't like rejection. I don't think anyone in here says, yeah, give it to me. It's hard to swallow. It's hard to take. You don't want to be relegated to the sideline. You don't want to be marginalized. You don't want to be the outsider. You don't want to be the left out, the left over, the ignored. None of us like to be them. We actually like to be in us. Rejection's hard. Rejection from your friends, from your spouse, from your family, from your coworkers. It's just a difficult pill to swallow. And in fact, some of us fear rejection so much that rather than allowing other people to make that decision for us, we choose it for ourselves. We choose the isolation before anyone else can choose it for us. We try to take the control and take the power and say, you know what, you're not going to reject me. I'm, I'm not going to allow you to do that. We have that much fear of rejection. There's a story in Scripture, and it's in Luke 10, one I asked you to open up to. And if you wouldn't mind, please, please go there. The context of this moment is Jesus is being tested. He's being tried by what is called an expert in the law. Essentially, this is the religious guy, the religious elite. Many of us would say, in, in modern terms, this is the Bible thumper. No scripture upside down, this way, that way, every which way. And he was tested. Jesus was tested. And this expert said, 
what must I do to inherit eternal life? I think that's a question that a lot of us ask, or at least a lot of our lives looks like we're asking that question. And Jesus himself answers, and if you could follow along, chapter 10 in Luke, verse 27, or verse 26, excuse me. What is written in the law? He replied, Jesus replied, how do you read it? And the expert answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus, in my Bible it's red, because I know, then, then I know it's Jesus talking. Um, he said, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But then, then the guy wanted to justify himself. Wanted himself to look good and wanted to put Jesus in his place. And so he asks this question, and who is my neighbor? And then Jesus, I don't know if he did it on the spot. My guess is he's probably had this in the back of his mind, this story in the back of his mind. But he tells this thing, what we call the parable of the Good Samaritan. The parable is a very simple story made up to reveal truths about the kingdom of God. It's relatable. It's relatable to the people and to the listener. And so Jesus begins to tell this story of this Good Samaritan. And he says this, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell into the hands of robbers. He fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, for those of us in the 21st century, for those of us in 2019, this really doesn't make sense to us all that much. But for those For that expert in the law and for those that were listening to Jesus, this is a scenario that could have easily played itself out. When you travel down from Jerusalem to Jericho, you descend down. And as you get into Jericho, there are a lot of crevices that people can hide in, a lot of shady spots. And so as you travel, maybe from temple, from the big city, back to the small city, you could be overcome by the, those that are hiding out in the crevices. This is not unlike many of their reality. He falls into the hands of robbers, the violent, abusive hands of robbers. And here we have a man, now beaten to the inch of his life, stripped naked and stripped of his possessions. And he's lying on the ground. And then this, this is where Jesus really turns the story. This is why I like Jesus. And why I, one of the reasons why I like Jesus and how he's a good storyteller. He then begins to pile some things on. And notice what he says. And I have the scripture up on the screen. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, He passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. Folks, 
rejection. If you don't know a priest and a Levite, a priest more than likely was a temple worker. He was, a, he was probably church staff. I'm church staff. Matthew, church staff. You can tell by our shirts. We seem to match today. We didn't call each other. Just shows that we're unified, right? The priest was probably church staff. He was doing the work of the Lord. And the Levite, that, may, that, that term may not be familiar to you, but what that says is that that individual, that Levite, had access to the inner sanctuaries because he was an ancestor of Moses and Aaron. He had his lineage to stand on. His faith was his faith because it was his parents' faith and his grandparents' faith and great-grandparents' faith and went all the way down the line. And you would think, you would think, at least I would think, that these are the two people who are representative of religion. They would stop and they would help this man. They would forget what they're doing and their destination and they would help a half-dead, fully naked guy. Helpless, hopeless. But you know what? They walked right past him. In fact, they walked right past him. They went to the other side of the road. You ever been in Walmart? And there was that individual. You're like, I got to avoid them right now. So you ducked down the other aisle. If you hadn't done that, you're a liar. Come on now. Even I've done that. I admit it. I admit it. You would think the religious elite would help him. But the half-dead, fully-naked individual was rejected by religion. By those who we would think would help him. Folks, those of you that are sitting here, those of you that might be listening on the podcast or, the, or online on our website, you m- might have felt like that half-dead, fully-naked individual. And religion, those of, who are part of religion, those who you would think would stop and help, you've experienced the rejection on behalf of religion. You might have felt like religion was the do's and don'ts and the regulations and the rules. You felt that weight. You felt that burden. Maybe you've been on the receiving end of the judgmental finger, the stare or the sneer. And quite frankly, maybe you 
on the other side of religion have felt like you weren't good enough, you weren't pious enough, you just weren't enough. And so you conclude that if the priest and the Levite in our modern day treats people like this, then I want nothing to do with those people. I want nothing to do with their religion, and I want nothing to do with their God. And so, like those of us who fear rejection, we decide that I won't allow them to reject me anymore. And we isolate ourselves and we pull ourselves away. However, we're going to come back to that story. But I want to share with you that even Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was rejected by religion. John, one of Jesus' inner circle, one of Jesus' disciples, and in fact, John was the only disciple to live a long life who witnessed and knew of all the deaths and the martyrdoms of his friends that sat around the table. John reflected in his old age because he knew Jesus, he sat with Jesus, he talked with Jesus. In fact, John was the one, the only disciple, the only of the inner circle of Jesus to actually witness and watch Jesus die on the cross. This same guy reflects about 70 to 80, maybe 90 years later. And he says, he, Jesus, was in the world And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Religion rejected Jesus. In fact, Jesus said the Son of Man, that's a term he uses to refer to himself. It's an Old Testament term, but he uses it to refer to himself. And he says the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by elders, chief priests, teachers of the law. In other words, the Son of Man's going to be rejected by religion. To those that would, should stop on the side of the road and help the man that's half dead and half naked. Religion will reject me. And you know what they're going to do to me? They're not going to reject me. They're not going to take their ball and say, you can't play. No, religion's going to reject me so much so that religion is going to kill me. But the news doesn't stop there. He does say on the third day, he'll be raised to life. So, those of you that are sitting here today, might have been on that back end of religion. You might have felt like that man on the side of the road and watched those walk past you. But see, that's not the end of the story. Jesus piles it on a little more 
because he just wants to make his point. Let's go back to that story just for a moment. Back in, in, in Luke chapter 10. Notice what he does. Jesus can choose anyone for this story. I like to think he's probably making it up on the spot. I mean, he is the son of God. He's pretty creative. And then he says this, verse 33, but a Samaritan. We got to stop for a moment. But a Samaritan. You probably know of the term Samaritan. It's not just a hospital, folks. This is where it comes from. Samaritan. A Samaritan is the rejected. The Samaritan is a non-Jew. The Jews considered Samaritans half-breeds, a mixed breed. They were avoided. They were unwanted. They were not well-liked. In fact, they were, hurt. they were hated. And Jews felt that they were corrupted. So Jesus, as he does, he, he uses the Samaritan, the most ungodly that you could probably think of, to make a godly point about the kingdom of God and about God himself. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, it says, came where the man was, just like the other two religious people. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He had compassion on him. How much? Well, the story continues. He uses his oil and his wine and probably his own cloth to bandage his wounds. He uses his own form of transportation, a donkey. Puts the man on the donkey, walks beside the donkey to an inn, takes him to the inn, stays with the man the whole evening, tending and caring for him. And then in the morning, he says to the innkeeper, take care of him, I will be back and I will reimburse you for whatever costs and expenses that it will take. He used his own finances, his own transportation, his own possessions to tend for this man. Jesus uses the rejected to help the rejected. Did you catch it? Did you see it? I don't know. Let's look a little deeper. There's a moment right before Jesus' brutal beating and, and right before his crucifixion. There's this moment where Pilate, the governor, a pagan man, stands before the people 
and has Jesus on one side and Barabbas on the other side. Jesus, the Son of God. Barabbas, which means Son of the Father. Two sons of the Father before the people. And Pilate stands before the people, the chief priests, the elders, the teachers of the law, and the crowd, the religious elite. And as is custom, it is their custom to pardon someone, to release someone that has been imprisoned, someone that has been arrested. And so Pilate after having a very long discussion with Jesus, coming to conclusion that Jesus is an innocent man to any and all accusations that have been made. He says, which one do you want? Do you want Jesus? Or do you want Barabbas? Barabbas an insurrectionist, a revolutionist, a one that stirs up society to overthrow it. And in fact, Barabbas was a murderer. He was on death row. And in fact, I dare argue that the center cross that Jesus took was meant for Barabbas and not Jesus there would have been three criminals that day crucified. But as Jesus and Barabbas and Pilate stood before the people, religion chose to pardon the murderer and crucify the healer the teacher, the peacemaker, the son of God. Religion conspired with Jesus' inner circle and believed everything could be bought with a price. Under the cover of darkness, religion came into the garden with swords and clubs to arrest Jesus. Religion found fault where there was no fault Religion accused, religion judged, religion condemned, religion approvingly brutalized, beat, and abused. And even Pilate understood that religion painted itself green with envy. In the name of the law, religion broke the law, the same law in which they accused Jesus of breaking. Religion used people for its agenda and its advancement. Religion rejected Jesus, the Son of God. And before the cross, there is no clearer picture of what the cross actually means than this picture right here. Because Luke... Luke, the author of the Gospel of Luke, who we've just been reading. 
He says that Pilate, Pilate released Barabbas. And he makes sure that we understand who Barabbas was, an insurrectionist and a murderer. On death row, sentenced to be dead. And then Luke says, and Pilate surrendered Jesus to the will of the people. Folks, I'm here to tell you, no one surrenders Jesus to anyone. In fact, Jesus surrendered himself to the will of the Father in the garden when religion came with swords and clubs. Jesus surrendered himself to the cross, knowing full well what the cross would do. It was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. You and I, or Barabbas, were the man sentenced to death. But we're also the man that Jesus gave himself up for to be released. I said earlier, we are at our fullest when we are fully loved. Religion, obviously, keeps love at a distance. Because when Jesus surrendered his, his will and his body to the cross, and gave himself up and said it was finished. That was the fullest expression of God's love for mankind. For you, for your family, for your kids, for your grandkids, for your life. Because religion keeps God at a distance. But Jesus didn't come for religion, folks. Jesus came for relationship. When it says in Genesis, let us make man, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness. God ushered us into relationship with our creator. You were created for connection. You were created to have fellowship with God himself and with creation and with people. And you might be sitting here saying, I'm not a people person. Well, guess what? You're people and you're a person. And you cannot deny that which you are. Because if you deny that which you are, you do not exist. You have been created to connect with the Creator. To have fellowship. And religion has kept you at a distance. And Jesus says, I don't want you at a distance. Because of the cross, I want you right here. I want to enter your life. I want you to experience the fullness 
of the love of God. Love is the language of God. And I want you to experience the fullness of my love in your life. I want you to experience grace. That which you do not deserve, you were given. Barabbas was loved by God. The chief priests, the elders, the teachers of the law were loved by God. I want to enter that parable for one just one last second. Because as Jesus is telling the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus is in the story. Do you see it? Do you see it? Jesus is the man that's on the ground, half dead, fully naked. Jesus is on the ground where religion passes by, applauding the death, anticipating it. But the man on the ground isn't the only one in the story that's Jesus. The Samaritan. The Samaritan is Jesus. The Samaritan's the one that stops. The Samaritan is the one that's rejected. I thank God that Jesus, the rejected one, helps the rejected and brings us life. And did you catch it on the end where the Samaritan said, hey, I will come back. I will come back and reimburse you for whatever the cost. Jesus says at the end of Scripture, you can go to Revelation 22. He says, yes, I am coming soon. We don't just celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We anticipate His return. That is the hope. So today, I don't know if you've been rejected on behalf of religion. I don't know if you've been on the end of the finger. Searing stares. Judgmental words. I don't know. First, foremost, I apologize on behalf of any Christian who's done that to you. But I want to tell you that if that is you, you can quickly identify with Jesus and Jesus can quickly identify with you. Because He has made you in His image. We want to belong. That is why we fear rejection. We want to be with someone or something that we identify with. And let me just tell you, that's what Christmas is. Jesus comes in a way that we can identify Him and identify with Him. But He doesn't leave it there. He goes to the cross and to the empty tomb and then so that God may live within you. So I would like to ask you to stand for just one moment. Would you mind bowing your heads?
closing your eyes for just a moment. You may be standing here or listening to my voice and you may have been the one, you may have felt like the man on the ground. Jesus didn't die for a religion. Jesus died for relationship. And in that story, we see Jesus in both the half-dead man and the Samaritan. And this morning, Jesus died that you may have life and life abundantly. He rose from the dead that you may have hope and a living hope. And so this morning, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, knowing that we are just like Barabbas, but God loves Barabbas just as much as he loves everybody else. And you are in this moment, and you know that it's time to cross the line of faith. It's time to move forward. It's time to to move away from religion and time to have relationship with the Creator, the one who knows you. If that's you this morning, I just want you to pray along with me. It's not a magical prayer, there's no magic in it, it's done on the cross but would you pray along with me? Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my life. I ask for your forgiveness. And I give you my life. yours because you gave your life for me amen that's not the end of the conversation it's just the beginning if that was you I'm going to ask that you make a bold confession right now I'm not trying to embarrass you Jesus himself was humiliated for you, buck naked in front of everybody being crucified. If that was you, I'm going to ask that you you just raise your hand up high. If you said, Jesus, I give you my life. Heavenly Father, I praise you. I thank you for giving your life that we may have life and hope and know that this isn't the end. This is just the beginning of the journey. I praise you. And may we celebrate the resurrection every single day. May that joy be within us. May it overflow. And may we seek to connect with our Creator more and more every day. Thank you. It's in your name we pray today. Amen. We love you. We've got one last song for you. 
not necessarily for you, but for him. And then we'll dismiss here shortly. Sandy, you want to rock it out? Because we can't leave on a low note, right? Jesus is alive. And he's alive in my heart and in your heart.